Good morning, Stanwich Church. Wow, it feels really good to say that. I've been waiting almost a year. It's great to be back with you, and I just wanted to start by saying thank you so much for supporting not only me well, but also my wife, Rachel, while I was away. And also thank you for caring for my soldiers well. So well done, church. Thank you. It was incredible this past year to open those care packages from your care package ministry. It was like Christmas for my soldiers every time. And it was an awesome testament to the generosity and heart of God. So good job. Now, speaking of soldiers, it wasn't too long ago I was sitting in my first Army active duty staff meeting. And I had no idea what to expect. There I was, gathered around a large conference room with about 30 different officers. So we're sitting around and our commander walks in. The room is called to attention. Everybody stands and then we're seated again. And then one by one, each officer stands to tell our commander about his piece of the mission. Now, we got about five soldiers in when this young man stood who was clearly unprepared. He's kind of fumbling through his notes. Apparently, he said a few things that we found out later were inaccurate. And as he was talking, I noticed something. All the eyes in the room slowly shifted toward the commander. Everybody wanted to see, how is this guy going to react? And I kid you not, in front of 30 people, this commander stood up and absolutely wrecked this young man. It was like nothing I had ever seen in a staff meeting. Believe it or not, Pastor Nathan does not do that in church staff meetings. It made me very thankful for the church, but it also made me wonder, you know, what's wrong with my commander? Why is he so angry? You know, what's the deal with this guy? Now, the interesting part is, a few hours later, I was in another much larger staff meeting. This time, there were almost 100 officers in a gigantic conference room. But this time, it was my commander's turn to brief a two-star general officer. So my commander stood up, and would you believe it? He fumbled over his words, and the two-star general absolutely destroyed him. He gave my commander a dishing out that was much worse than I had seen that morning. Now, in that moment, I was tempted to think to myself, wow, this is justice. Look at him. He's getting treated exactly the way that he deserves. And as I started to think about it, my attitude kind of went from one of self-righteousness to one of really being discouraged. You know, I started to think to myself, man, what's going on in the army? I must have made a terrible decision when I raised my hand. But as I started to think about it, what I realized is that really what I was witnessing in those conference rooms had nothing to do with my commander. It didn't even really have anything to do with that two-star general. I mean, Many of you are in conference rooms without two-star generals, and you witness very similar things take place. You see, what you and I are witnessing in that moment, in that conference room, is this. It's a deeper failure. 
And it's actually a problem with the human heart. And the deep problem of the human heart is this. We are terrible, absolutely terrible at showing mercy. Mercy does not come naturally to us. In fact, when we have the opportunity to show someone mercy, we almost always miss it. We blow it. Now, the good news for us is that guess what? Our God is not like us. It's not in his nature to not show mercy. It's in his nature to always err on the side of mercy. And what we're going to see in the text of Jonah today is that our God shows us mercy. And out of an overflow of that mercy we receive, we are called to then show that mercy to others. And why is that? Because everyone desperately needs mercy. Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking, okay, pastor, you told me I was terrible at showing mercy. So what exactly is mercy? Could you please define what it means to show mercy? And the simplest definition of showing mercy is this. It's treating someone in a way that they do not deserve. Treating someone in a way they do not deserve. So let's take a look at this truth in the text that our God He shows us mercy. We're going to start in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. And it says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, I just want to stop right there for a moment because I want to give you some context for what's going on in this passage. We know the prophet Jonah from the book of Jonah, the book that we read from this morning before the sermon. But the Hebrew readers would have known Jonah from somewhere else. He's actually found one other time in the Old Testament. So where is he found? He's found in 2 Kings chapter 14. And this is what he's doing in 2 Kings 14. He's going to one of Israel's worst kings in history. One of Israel's most evil kings, Jeroboam II. And he gives this evil king a favorable prophecy. That he will win a battle and therefore grow the borders of Israel. Now I find this Kind of funny because one of Jonah's contemporaries, the prophet Amos, goes to the same king and he specifically reverses everything that Jonah said. He says, guess what, king? You're going to lose that battle and you're going to lose everything because you're evil. And right off the bat, the Hebrew readers, they would have known this. And so right away, as they're reading, they're like, wait a minute. What's the deal? Why is God calling this guy? His character is in question right away. Now, even more scandalous, much more scandalous than them, than Jonah being called is the fact that he's being called to who? He's being called to the Ninevites, our enemies? God, we don't want you to show mercy to them. We want those people to burn. You see, these people were the 
enemies of Israel. They were horrible to everyone in the Middle East. In fact, they're still known for their brutality today. If you talk to anyone living in Syria or Iraq today, most people will remember the Assyrian Empire and they'll still hate them. That's how brutal these people were. That was 3,000 years ago. By the way, people in the Middle East, they have a little bit longer memory than we do here in our country. But these people, they were incredibly brutal and evil. So right off the bat in this passage, it's like, God, why are you calling this guy, the guy who gives favorable prophecies to evil kings, and why are you calling him to tell mercy to these people? Why are you calling him to show these people mercy? I mean, what are you doing here, God? Now, the interesting part here is Jonah does what every Israelite would have done in this situation. He runs the opposite direction. And we find out later in chapter 3 why he runs. He says why he runs. He says, God, I ran because I didn't want you to show those people mercy. I didn't want them to have mercy. So he does what any Israelite would do. He runs the opposite direction. Nineveh is 550 miles northeast of Israel in what is modern-day Iraq. In fact, there is a Nineveh province in Iraq now, and I spent some time in the Nineveh province this past year. But he doesn't go there. He runs the opposite direction to the furthest place he can think of, the edge of the ancient known Mediterranean world, Tarshish which is in modern-day Spain. Now, what's really tempting for me to do in this moment is to look at Jonah and talk about his disobedience and talk about what happens to us when we are disobedient to God's call on our life. But the problem with focusing on Jonah's disobedience is that this book is not really about Jonah. Jonah is not really the hero. You see, this book is actually about God, and it's about the heart of God. And this is what this book is telling us, that God will do whatever it takes to show people mercy. He's going to go to any length to pour out his mercy. And so Jonah runs, and God pursues. We run and God pursues, but God pursues and he pursues and he pursues not to judge us. He pursues in order to pour out his mercy upon us. So Jonah runs and God pursues. And in fact, God pursues Jonah in such a way that he ends up saving Jonah at a point when Jonah really does not desire to live. And then, in God's mercy, God has this fish swallow him and spit him up on shore. Jonah's life is saved miraculously. But the book doesn't end with Jonah just resting on the shore in God's mercy. It doesn't end with Jonah resting in the fact that he's been given salvation. No, because out of an overflow of what Jonah has received from God, he then is called to share it to the people of Nineveh. And in the same way, out of an overflow of the mercy we've been shown by God, we are then called to share it with those around us. So let's take a look at that truth in chapter 3, verse 1. It goes on and it says this. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Even the king, can you believe it? Now, at first, jo- at first glance, when you read Jonah's message, it does not look very merciful. I mean, it's only five words in Hebrew. It's eight words in English. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. So how is this message about God's coming judgment merciful? Well, this message about God's coming judgment against sin is merciful because Jonah is warning these people in order that they may repent and turn back to God. And in the same way, our message of God's coming judgment on the account of sin and evil, it's actually a merciful message because the desire of that message is that people would repent and turn back toward God. I love what Peter writes in 2 Peter. He says, our God is not slow as some consider slow, but he is patient with us, desiring that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. Did you know that it's God's desire for everyone to come into repentance? That's an incredible thought. And that's the call we have is to share this message so that people can turn and repent. Now, those of you who are parents understand this idea of warning your children of decisions that they are making that will not go well for them, that on the account of these decisions, bad things could happen. And as I was thinking about this past week, I had about a million times my parents had warned me and I didn't listen. And so I kind of had to narrow it down to choose one where they really wanted to tell me and I didn't listen. So uh, in college, I really needed a mode of transportation. But I went to college in Florida, so I also needed to be cool. So uh, instead of buying the logical item, a car, where I could drive, you know, in the rain and pick up groceries and people, uh, I really decided that a motorcycle was the right choice. So my parents, they sat down with me, you know, this 19-year-old, very mature young man, and they said, you should not buy a motorcycle. Motorcycles are okay if you have a car, but if you only have a motorcycle, you're going to be miserable. It rains and you can't ride in the rain. They're dangerous. 
You can't carry any groceries or any people with you. They had a laundry list of reasons why this was a bad decision. So what did I do? I immediately went out and did the very mature right thing. No, not really. I bought a motorcycle immediately. And here was the funny part. The first month I owned the motorcycle, I was miserable. I got caught in the rain multiple times. There's this thing in Florida, in Florida called love bug season, and these bugs, swarms of them come out. Guess what? On a motorcycle, bugs aren't too much fun. You get covered in bugs. And finally, after riding this bike for like a month and a half, I got in an accident, and I could have lost my life, but God spared me. You see, my parents were warning me of the repercussions of my poor choices, and yet I did not listen. Luckily for me, my parents chose to continue to love me even after I chose the wrong thing. And guess what? Even when we make the wrong decision and we choose sin, our God continues to love us and he pursues us in the midst of our sin so that he could share his mercy with us. Now, I really wish that I could just stop preaching right here and say, okay, you've received mercy, now go show it. But that's not where the book of Jonah ends. It ends with this really odd exchange between Jonah and God. In chapter 4, Jonah, the prophet, still has not gotten it right. He's waiting outside the city of Nineveh, waiting, hoping the Ninevites repent of their repentance. He's hoping that they turn back to their evil so God can crush them. He wants to see God's judgment come. He hasn't understood the heart of God. And what he hasn't realized is that the Ninevites desperately need God's mercy, but also he does. And he needs it just as much, if not more, than they do. And I love it. He's sitting outside the city waiting for the hammer to drop, and God provides a vine. And this vine has a big leaf on it. It covers him up and shades him, and he, and he thanks God for the vine. And then God immediately sends a worm, and the worm eats the vine. And Jonah gets upset. And Jonah's complaining about the vine. And God says this. He says, Jonah, you're complaining about this vine. Don't you think that city with 120,000 people in it is a little more important to me than that vine? You see, my friends, God not only desires to generously show us his mercy, he desires for us to share that same mercy with those around us. So church, Let's get this right. We have an opportunity. Guess what? In Fairfield and Westchester County, there are millions of people that desperately need to be shown God's mercy. They desperately need it. We have the opportunity to, out of the overflow of the mercy we've received from the Father, share that mercy with those around us. Thanks be to God.